0: Once upon a time. Once upon a time. Once upon a time. Hi, I'm RPJ, and welcome to another bonus episode of Dads Read Princess Stories. Today we are going to look at the history of Little Briar Rose, otherwise most famously known as Sleeping Beauty. Like most people, your knowledge of this tale is probably connected to the Walt Disney film or it is of the Brothers Grimm version, but before both of those, there were several tellings that, to be honest, were way darker than you would imagine. Today, we are going to reveal how dark and twisted this tale truly was. Before we go any further, I do want to put a trigger and content warning on this episode. The topic of rape and rape culture will be addressed and talked about in this episode. Sleeping Beauty. As much as it is beloved, it is deeply, deeply flawed. So let's start at the beginning. The first recorded version of Sleeping Beauty was composed between the year 1330 and 1344, and was found in the writings of Persifrost. It was written by an anonymous French author, and describes a fictional, mythical origin of Great Britain. In the third book, In the 46th chapter, there is a story of Princess Zeladine. This would be the first name for what we now know as Sleeping Beauty. In this story, Princess Zeladine was the daughter of a king and queen that loved her so much that they threw a giant party for her and invited three goddesses who bestowed gifts upon her. One of the goddesses, of course, becomes. Annoyed with Zeladine and decides that she no longer likes her and declares that she will damn her to eternal sleep when she grows up. Princess Zeladine, of course, grows up and falls in love with a prince named Troilus, as one does. At some point, Troilus leaves to go on some sort of trip, and Zeladine walks around the castle looking for something to do whilst her awesome, charming prince is away. She soon discovers a spinning wheel pricks her finger, and a piece of flax gets embedded in her finger, and she falls into eternal sleep. Naturally, her father and her mother are heartbroken. The king then decides that it is the best idea to put her in the top of a tower, laying on a bed, completely naked. Troilius then comes back and climbs into the tower, and once he gets into the room, he sees... Venus the goddess you know not not the planet but the goddess venus venus then tells troilus that he should sleep with zeledine as in you know sleep with not lay next to her and take a nap but sleep with her and so troilus does he makes love To the eternal sleeping princess. And once he's done, he... Well, he just leaves. He ups and... He just buggers off. Now, nine months later, guess what happens? Mm -hmm. Zeladine gives birth to a baby! You got it! In her sleep. But you didn't think that was going to happen, though. This baby then sucks on the finger of Zeladine, thinking it was a nipple, and sucks out the... Piece of flax, which breaks the spell, and Zeladine wakes up. Zeladine becomes beside herself, and she's no longer a virgin, and thus she's a ruined woman. To make matters worse, a bird flies into the window and steals her baby, never to be seen again in the story. But wait! Not all is bad in the world of Zeladine. That's right, the princess notices that she has a ring. On her finger. And not just that. But she surmises that this ring was given to her by Troilius. And that makes everything A-O-K. Which is not. Now Troilius does come back. And they get married. And live happily ever after. Imagine that being a Disney movie. This tale was pretty famous for its time and eventually inspired Gian Battista an Italian folklorist, to write his story called Sun, the Moon, and Talia. It was published after his death in 1634. Now, if you thought that last story was bad, wait until you get a load of this. In this version, there is no goddess or evil fairies, Instead, the king asks some fortune tellers what they think will happen to his daughter, and they tell him, we think she's going to die or possibly fall into eternal sleep. And it turns out, at the age of 15, Talia falls into eternal sleep, surprise, surprise, from pricking her finger, and the king places her, you guessed it, in a tower. And one day, another king, not a prince, but another king is riding by, and his falcon leaves him because, you know... King's gotta have falcons. And this falcon flies to the top of the tower and just sits on the window, and the king calls out to his falcon, but it won't budge. But lucky for him, there's a ladder on the ground by the tower. So he climbs this ladder into the tower, and there he finds Talia in her eternal sleep, naked. Yep. Still running with that naked theme. Which means, yet again, another father thought it was totally normal to lay his sleeping daughter naked, alone, in a tower. So this king is now in the tower with his falcon, looking at a naked girl. He decides the best course of action is to sleep with her. As in, you know, look, I'm just going to say it. He rapes her. It's gross, and it's wrong, and it's completely not okay to be having this in a story. And it's not like there's a goddess standing there egging him on. Not that that makes it any better. Once the king finishes, he leaves with his falcon and goes back home to his queen and forgets it ever happened. Yeah, he was married the entire time. Nine months later, Talia gives birth to not just one baby, but two. Two babies. She pops out twins in her sleep. These twins suck on her finger, the flax comes out of her finger, she wakes up, then a bird flies into the room and takes both of the babies. No, I'm just joking. The bird doesn't come. But she does give birth to twins. The babies do suck her finger and then she does wake up. And she does name them Sun and the Moon. Now here comes the shocking third act twist. That king that didn't remember Talia, that left and was like, I'm just gonna live with my queen now. Yeah, he totally suddenly remembers Talia and decides to go find her. Nine months later. What an awesome guy, right? What an awesome king. He goes back to the tower, explains what happened to Talia, and her reaction is... Gratefulness. She thanks him and asks him to take care of her. And he does. He takes her back to his castle, and by castle I mean, of course, his hideaway house, because he doesn't want anyone to know that he has a mistress... Can't have the queen finding out about this. She finds out. Of course she's going to find out. But does she go after the king? No. No. The queen instead goes to the cook and demands that he find Sun and Moon, the two kids, and bake them into pies so she can feed them to her king. And he totally, 100%, does not do it. He's not a monster. Not everybody in these stories have to be monsters. Instead, he kills some animals, puts them in the pie, and he feeds them to the king, pretending that they were the kids. The queen, not feeling like this is enough, demands that the cook then find Talia and bake her into a pie. So the cook finds a bigger animal, cooks that, feeds it to the king, you know, blah, 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 blah. At this point, the queen thinks that she has ridden Talia and her children from the face of Earth. Until one day she hears Talia's voice and she becomes so enraged that she's not actually dead. So she builds a great fire in the courtyard and demands that Talia come in and be tied to a wire and be burned at the stake. Poor Talia, seeing matters come to a bad pass, and this is a direct quote from the book, fell to her knees before the queen and besought her at least to grant her time to take the clothes from off her back. This is worse than Game of Thrones. The queen says, yes, take off your clothes, because not only does she want to burn this woman alive, but she also wants the dress that she's wearing. I mean, granted, yes, the dress is pretty nice. It's embroidered with gold and pearls, so I kind of get why you would want to keep it and not burn it. It's got some sort of value. But Talia doesn't just rip the dress off. No, 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 no. She slowly takes her time, piece by piece, biding her time. And this takes so long that at some point the king just stumbles upon them and asks, hey, What's going on here? I mean, clearly the image of his naked mistress next to a burning steak across from his angry wife is sending mixed messages? He asks, Where his children are? And the queen tells him, ha! You ate them! I baked them into a pie, sucker! And this major pisses off the king and orders the queen to be thrown into the fire and her secretary. Because, you know, secretaries. He almost throws the cook in as well, but the cook is quick to explain what he did and the king thanks him for saving their lives, gives the cook, and I quote, a large reward he made him his chamberlain. Tally and the king marry, with the final lines of the story being... He who has luck may go to bed, and bliss will reign upon his head. Well, it's awesome that everything worked out for that white straight dude. What's interesting about this story is its connection to Greek mythology. You see, the killing of people and putting them in pies seems to be a very common thing in Greek tales. Even more interesting is its connection to Shakespeare, and his play Titus Andronicus, which was written much later than this tale. It seems as though Titus was influenced by these tales on some level. There's a female character that was raped, with her hands and her tongue being cut off so that she can't tell anyone. I mean, sure, it's more extreme, but the same idea is there that the female is unable to tell anyone what is going on. Also, the people that do this are punished by being baked into pies and fed to their relatives. Now, Bissell's version was later adapted and published by Charles Perrault in 1697. This is the first time that we hear the name Sleeping Beauty. This is also where the story starts to veer closer to the Disney version that we all know. In Perrault's vision, the princess has no name. She is simply named Princess. I mean, why give your main character a name? When she's born, seven fairies are invited to bestow gifts upon her. The king and queen don't invite the eighth fairy because they believe her to be dead due to the fact that she has not left her house in over 50 years. I mean, if you haven't left your house in 50 years, I would assume you're also dead. Now, of course, this eighth fairy shows up and she is totally pissed off that she was not invited. She gives the gift of death. But right away, another one of those fairies says that their gift is that they wish death does not happen to the princess, and instead you will go to sleep for a hundred years, because that's way better than dying. This is the first time in the story that we have fairies sleeping for a hundred years, and an evil fairy slash witch slash Maleficent-like character. When the princess eventually pricks her finger, the king and queen up and leave the castle, but everyone else is put to sleep by the curse. One hundred years pass, and a charming, handsome prince comes to the castle to wake her up, He doesn't kiss her, though. She wakes up on her own accord because it's been 100 years to the day. They then get married, have two wonderful children, one named Aurora, one named Day. And that's the end of the tale. Oh, wait, no, it's not. The prince has a very jealous mother who's half-org. I'll take org mothers that like to eat children for $400, Alex. That's right. This story now has a jealous mother-in-law that is literally an org. So, the queen, who's an org, demands the cook to kill the children, cook them, and feed them to her. Of course, the cook pretends that he does this with animal meat, blah, 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 blah. The queen eats it, thinking that she ate the children. Then she soon finds out that it was all a trick, and she sets up a large tub in the courtyard, get this, filled with vipers and reptiles. The king returns in the nick of time, and the queen, who's also an org, her true nature having been exposed throws herself into the tub, and is fully consumed by the vipers and reptiles. The king, young queen, and children then live happily ever after. That last version of Sleeping Beauty was then adapted by the Brothers Grimm into what we now know as Little Briar Rose. You probably notice that right off the bat, if you listen to the last episode with Evan Roberts, that there is no eating of children or rape, thank the Lord. There are a few variations of the Brothers Grimm's versions, though, spanning from 1812 to around 1850. In this tale, there are 12 fairies, not seven, that come to the birth of the princess, with the 13th, unlucky 13, being not invited. 13th fairy gets mad, puts the curse on her, another fairy cancels that one out, thus sleeping curse is then given, everyone including the king and queen this time falls asleep when she pricks her finger, a prince shows up years later with the castle now being covered in thorns, he comes close to the thorns, they turn into flowers, they move apart, which is super nice for him, he finds Briar Rose, kisses her this time, she wakes up, they live happily ever after. Obviously this is the one that Disney draws the most from. But how can a beloved children's cartoon come from something so dark and twisted? It is important to remember that these folktales, including Sleeping Beauty, were not meant for children per se, when they first came out. Children's literature wouldn't become popular until the late 17th century, and Perrault was providing stories for the French aristocrats and Parisian literary salons and providing modifications to the narratives to promote his beliefs in the superiority of the ruling nobility and the nation's Roman Catholic Church. We also need to point out how much we as a culture have grown and changed. Sleeping Beauty is a story that is deeply flawed in the message that it is trying to tell. Its emphasis on allusions to the sexual maturity of young women is a problem. It says that young women should be seen, not heard that they don't have to consent, to look pretty, preferably, asleep, according to this story. The enchanted sleep, in its association with a death-like passivity that yields to sexual maturity, a father's vain attempt to prevent his daughter's suffering, the curse of blood that is foretold to come at a young girl's particular age. There is a natural order to things, and scary though they may be, life changes will bring love and happiness in the end. We live in a culture where this is normal to a degree. We are told these stories from a very young age. They are heteronormative romance only. Even the Disney version tells us that women should be non-communative and beautiful. That women should be seen as a trophy displayed in glass for men to sexualize. A trophy one can get by being strong, handsome, and masculine only. The prince never asks if she might be okay with any of this. He simply claims her. He takes her for his own. Only Dumbo has less speaking lines than Aurora does in Sleeping Beauty. Because... He has no lines to speak. For a movie where the main character is female and idolized by children around the world, it is shocking to know that she only speaks 18 lines of dialogue. None of them, I'll have you know, come from after she wakes up. It is mind-blowing that so many problematic elements of this fairy tale are still romanticized. Whilst researching the story of this fairy tale, I got a call from my mother. And when she asked how I was and what I was up to, I told her what I was researching. She instantly perked up, exclaiming that Sleeping Beauty was her favorite as a child growing up. My mother recalled going to the movie with her mom to see the Disney classic. I then explained the history of this tale. And after about 20 minutes of me telling detailed versions of the story through history, and the effects that it had on youth and culture when it comes to the role of females, my mother recalled how when she was little, she would play the vinyl soundtrack lying on her bed and she would close her eyes and wish that a boy would kiss her so that she could wake up and be loved. My mother was blonde and blue-eyed and saw herself being represented. That she too could be a princess after all all the dark-haired girls had Snow White. What we realized in that moment on the phone was the power that storytelling and media has on us. No one told my mom what was happening on screen wasn't actually okay. Almost 60 years later, she realized the effect that it actually had on her. Now, my mother, like all women, in some way or form, has had to deal with some sort of sexual assault. And I think the key word is deal. Sadly, it is stories like Sleeping Beauty that perpetuate the idea That these things are something that you just have to deal with as a part of life. And that couldn't be further from the truth. There are over 145 retellings of Sleeping Beauty in book form alone. One version I would recommend reading that takes the story in a new and positive direction is The Sleeper and the Spindle by Neil Gaiman. The description on the book reads, On the eve of her wedding, a young queen sets out to rescue a princess from an enchantment. She casts aside her fine wedding clothes, takes her chain mail and her sword, and follows her brave dwarf, retainers into the tunnels under the mountain towards the sleeping kingdom. This queen will decide her own future, and the princess who needs rescuing is not quite what she seems. You can find this book on Amazon, Indigo, and also my favorite because it's super cheap and has free shipping to Canada, bookdepository.com. I'll also leave a link in the description if you're interested in finding that book. This has been a look at the history of Briar Rose, otherwise known as Sleeping Beauty. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Dads Read Princess Stories, and on Twitter at DadsRead. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, subscribe, and tag. Best way to leave a review is by sharing this podcast on your social media, and tagging us. Someone is always more willing to try something new when it is suggested by someone they know. It's just a fact. If you have not already, check out our past episodes. I'm RPJ. Thank you for listening. Stay safe.